0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Highly Inspired. I'm Ella. I'm Jordan. Hey, guys. Um, So last week, we had a failed attempt, as you know, to show you Uh, our little studio. uh, The visuals. The visuals. So this is going to be our official first episode on YouTube and we have a camera now that works. Yes. Hello
1: YouTube. We're very excited to have this. It's a new phase Um, but like it's this is where it's always been in our kitchen just trying to Have some conversation, talk about stuff, and this is kind of where it all started, so we're excited. Um, This week we have kind of a hodgepodge of topics we want to talk about, and pretty much everything falls under the category of big tech and data and an amazing documentary that we just watched the other night, which was The Social Dilemma on Netflix. Um, It's only been out for a few days. And just after watching it, I think that it really inspired us to kind of do some external research. And I don't know, kind of discuss it outside of just watching something, because I think that people really respond to watching a documentary like that, which Mm. is so all inclusive of a lot of things, but they don't necessarily get into a ton of stats or like a ton of little intricacies or like psychology or this or that in in terms of casual real life human interaction. So they touched on it. But yeah, I think that um, talking about it in a more long form format is kind of perfect. Yeah,
0: no, it's, it was a great documentary. Um, I recommend it to anyone who hasn't heard of it yet or hasn't seen it. Um, it basically just to get a, give a brief synopsis synopsis without giving anything away. It had mainly speakers that were, um, past workers, or even like presidents of major tech companies that we all are familiar with, mainly social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. I mean, mm-hmm. the list really continues. Google, um, and then it had a mix of psychologists as well, one of them being Jonathan Haidt, who we've talked about before on this podcast, and mm-hmm. I really recommend looking into his book, um, The Akata- the Coddling of the American Mind. Mm-hmm. And um, Jordan and I, a- aside from this you know, this film, we had been talking a lot about, um, avatars and kind of your digital persona. And we did an episode on that and that's one element of it. But like these companies, they really do see you as a digital entity and, and you to just be fully manipulated by them (laughs) as puppets essentially. (laughs) Yeah. So I think with
1: talking about social media and talking about big tech, there's all these little, um, innuendos or titles that people use to explain what's going on. The puppeteer mm-hmm. comparison is a really good one. Um, the ether is a really good one. Posting off into the ether, where is your data going? Where exactly is it being stored? Like I think ether. a lot of people, yes, title <laughs> of this episode is Into the Ether. Yep. A very overarching. We were trying to figure out how we could encapsulate everything about this because it's it's our world right now mm-hmm. and it has grown so much in the past decade yeah. and I think that that documentary really highlighted it, it, some pretty alarming statistics on yeah. how fast it has exponentially increased in terms of how much is out there and um, yeah we actually pulled some screenshots we'll post them for you guys yeah. they were really cool
0: and what Jordan's kind of describing is in this film there was which we'll 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 share the screenshot with you, but I just am having the visual in, in my head, and it's basically this chart, and you're seeing from 1940, um, which is when 1950, when you start seeing technology kind of emerge in this digital realm, all the way to 2020, and you're seeing this this graph, and it's going very very slow, very very slow, almost like this, and then 2010, it goes straight up. Yeah, I think they said it was like a hundred trillion No, a, hun-
1: a hundred quadrillion.
0: Okay, even more. <laughs> <laughs> something
1: that we can't even wrap our heads around. Yeah. How much? And that actually was like less than
0: a decade. And which is crazy because when you think about um, like your sibling or, or someone that's only a few years younger than you. Even like in college, I'm, I've met now freshmen and sophomores now in college and I'm a senior and I already can see so many differences in them and I didn't feel like when I was a freshman I had that many differences from seniors and I kind of am tying it now back to this graph that we saw where around 2010 everything shifted so fast. Like I remember yeah. growing up and we only had – one house like computer laptop and i remember like i didn't even grow up with cable until i was 8 and then i remember even just seeing like a printer for the first time like in my house and i remember <laughs> like going on webkins at yeah. my dad's office and that being a really big deal that i got to go to on webkins like only a few times a week and now like like you could go on your phone all the time on Instagram, and you're what? ten years old? Like it's crazy,
1: yeah, just the the sky is the limit. Yeah. and it's and it's even more instantaneous than that, where you had to get onto a desktop computer and f- go through all these passwords and then get on Webkins, where now it's just
0: your face
1: opens your phone and then you click one button. and even if you don't want to type, you can just speak into Siri
0: well with webkins i mean not to go like off track but at least you don't have notifications <laughs> i
1: know yeah like, at
0: least you didn't have it like constantly at you all the time like and it wasn't it was fun and innocent that's another thing that the documentary brought up that i never really realized is before you know 2010 the internet we grew up with the the youtube we first were exposed to was so innocent. It was cat videos and home videos and, it, you know.
1: Oh, I had probably five or six YouTube channels that I was subscribed to, but it was like I was religiously watching them because yeah. that was it. Yeah. Just the amount of content that you could look at was not even a fraction of what we have today. Yeah.
0: Do you remember Marcel Marcel the show? Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then just like random viral videos like Charlie Bit My Finger and that type yeah. of thing. Those were so great. And it and I remember those even more because it was so special that like those types of videos when there weren't as when there wasn't as much content. You'd watch like, it over and over again. You watch it over oh, like I can't remember the last time I watched a YouTube video like twice. That's a good even point. a short even a short one.
0: Well, you barely have enough time to like keep up with the things that you want to keep up with, let alone discover new things. Because it's like, okay, I already know people I'm subscribed to on YouTube, whatever. Like, it's already a lot to like just watch all the updates for that in one day. It's exhausting. It's really exhausting. Get up to date with Twitter. Get up to date with Instagram. I mean, when you compile all these things, it's several hours out of your day, and I mean, humans just aren't meant for that. And it's crazy because, especially with COVID, I feel like we're always on our screens, like between class and whatever. And I was talking to my friend and he was saying, I feel like a zombie. Like, I just feel like I go from like screen to screen and I don't even know what I'm consuming. That's what I felt
1: like this summer, especially with like full online class and not being really even able to do anything. Now it's still just as bad and it's probably going to get worse. Um, But yeah, actually, is there... Is there a word now that you bring that up about um, feeling like you have to stay up to date with everything? Mm -hmm. And if you and if you're subscribed to YouTube channels or are following so and so many people on Twitter that you have to see every single thing. Like, I wonder if that's
0: there probably is a word for it. I'm not sure exactly. I mean, maybe it's a sense of like FOMO, but that's interesting. You bring that up because something that I noticed was part of the reason why we have such a hard time, like kind of kind of finding common like con- like just finding things in common with our peers is because there's so much content out there that so we don't have a common culture if you think yeah. about Michael Jackson the Beatles etc like everyone was obsessed with these things now everything mm-hmm. is so niche and it's niche with mar- music it's niche with movies etc um, like how do you even make friends with someone when you don't have anything in common. And that was something the documentary brought up is that these algorithms are trying to get it so that you are seeing a completely different news story than I am. Like when you type in climate change is, you and I will have different pop-up yeah, words based yeah. off of our searches, our thinking, and our I tested it evaluation. and it actually, actually yeah. we
1: probably could have both tested it. Like, yeah. But since we're in the same area, it would have come up with the same thing. Whereas if we were in Arizona, it could have- came up with a completely different search result. Yeah. Or like filler, whatever mm-hmm. those things are called. Yeah. That was scary. I had never seen that before. No.
0: I mean, I figured as much, but I, I didn't realize how much it was tied to your like psych psychology and stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah.
1: So I I found a word that kind of, uh, it kind of concludes what that feeling is of, it's not, it's not the obligation to follow what people are doing or like what people are posting, but it's sort of, being exposed to so much and not knowing how to draw your feelings from it. And this is, I think, a big contributor to why um, the amount of like mental health, mm-hmm. just crises are going on. So what it's called is instant digital empathy, interesting. which is where, say, Becky's in Nantucket, and she's at the beach, like you see her photos, and then um, someone's in China and they're doing this or that. Or one photo, it's someone super happy on vacation with their family, and then the next photo is a friend' who cat just died. Mm-hmm. So you've got just this insane roller coaster of some photos are super happy, some are neutral, some are sad. Like w- I don't think that we were necessarily evolved to have all of these conflicting emotional image. Imid- Im- Images, videos, um, words that are, there's no pattern, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't think social media was built to categorize based off of emotion. It was built to categorize what will engage us the most. That's really interesting. So maybe that's kind of another, like, remember how we were talking about the other day that we do like drama. We like some sort of challenge that gets us to keep coming back to see those conflicting emotional mm-hmm. image images, um, but then when we do, I don't know if it's necessarily giving some people the best outcome, and they might not even know. It. It's like a subconscious yeah. like inner battle with your psyche and emotion, I guess. No,
0: that's really interesting. I never thought about that before. I'd never thought about the fact that like you do see so many different emotions on any feed that you're going through, and oh, we're, yeah. we're not evolved for that. We're not evolved for so many things with social media. We're not evolved <laughs> to have thousands of interactions a day with people or the fact that we are trying to seek approval from every follower that you have we are not evolved to take that in the most Mm -hmm. we could do is maybe like okay let's say you're out at a party and you're wearing an outfit probably the most compliments i would maybe expect to get is like one to three right like that's pretty normal if you're Mm. at a party but with social media, I mean, these young girls, and I, I mean, I'm young too, but like even like a few years <laughs> younger, I'm t- we're talking 200 comments on a normal person's Instagram. This is not someone who's famous, whatever. Like, it like is, teenage
1: girl that's, average. that's
0: the expectation. Yeah. Like, And if stuff. you
1: get under that, when that's your norm, it can instantly put you in, in a if, deficit where you're like, what the heck? I hate social media. I'm never posting again.
0: Yeah. And if you think about like, I mean the percentage of the people that might see that post. Of course someone's not going to like your outfit on there. Of course someone's if you put an idea out there isn't going to agree with your idea. You're exposing that image, that idea, whatever it is on social media to a wider range of people and it's not as selective as when you share something personal self one to one or in a group setting in person, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know.
1: I read something about how it kind of ties back to tribalism Mm -hmm. where like ancient where your acceptance and how you felt good about yourself had everything to do with if you went out and hunted and then brought back your findings and then showed it to your tribe. And we're talking a small, small amount of people, not the entire world. So normally a tribe would be composed of like 45 to 60 people. And so then in that one instantaneous moment, you get the affirmation and the celebration Mm -hmm. and the reward and whatever, the positive reinforcement, and then you move on to the next time and then you do it. So posting is kind of like that where you have this photo where there's so many things that you are appreciative of and and want to, I guess, kind of show the world, but there's just no way that you're going to get that entire scale of – positive reinforcement mm-hmm. um from everybody like we're that's just not yeah. possible no
0: you brought up some really interesting words and in what you're saying um positive reinforcement evolution and i think that ties into the dopamine thing which we've talked about the fact that we have evolved the reason why like we are incentivized to do good things and one of that is to like make social interactions whether it's for reproduction or just our own happiness goes all the way back to what you're talking about tribalism evolution etc mm-hmm. and the fact that we were evolved to get these i was reading this article from um i believe it was an x it was an ex facebook uh, yeah former um former vp of the growth of user growth of Facebook and she was speaking at Harvard and she was- She wasn't
1: in the doc, was she? No, she wasn't. This is a separate
0: article, article. And she was basically explaining that with the dopamine- that's the same thing that's being triggered with social media and it goes all the way back to like tribal times when you were trying to meet people and try to get their approval and now we're getting just that was the incentive yeah but Mm -hmm. it was supposed to be in small small doses and it's supposed to incentivize you to do things like love people and get into relationships and that sort of thing and it's getting substituted by social media on overload
1: yeah and honestly for back in back in those times when maybe you didn't get that much of a dopamine rush every day so not posting every day it had to be like once a month you got that true reward from it Mm -hmm. it was probably even more of like a dopamine flush than than just like posting on on social media i have a lot of terms that i found that i didn't even know existed there were some that i took from the doc um One was their persuasive technology. So there's Mm -hmm. all these different, in these companies, say Facebook, Google, YouTube, like, okay, they're all kind of connected in a way, but they all have their own teams that run their marketing and actual data fluctuations on the platform. And so within those teams, they also have separate departments that manage certain engagement factors. And here, let me find it. There was... um. There are these three goals that they have in these teams that are like the most important. First is engagement goal to keep current users actively engaged with the platform. Second is growth goal, incentivize not only the users, um, but for them to then go on to their friends and peers to get them on there to look at it or Mm. tagged you in a post, go check it out, that type of thing. And then the last one is the advertising goal, which pretty much if you really look at it, whether you pay for YouTube premium or some sort of premium plan, every single one of these platforms makes a massive amount of money off of it off of selling ads for other companies.
0: Yeah, and that, that point, I mean, the advertising. I think that might
1: be the most important. Yeah,
0: the advertising one is the scariest one. And basically what this documentary really brought to light, which I had never seen it in this light before, is that we are the product. And they basically state, you know, and this is such, this is such a basic concept. I should have been aware of this. But if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. And that is... <sighs> What so if it's free it's not free no and and obviously <laughs> I, I do know that, and i I knew that like okay, advertisings are a thing like they're taking your data, et cetera, like, I understand all of that, but to actually internalize, I am a product that is very dehumanizing if mm-hmm. you really think about mm-hmm. it, like every person on this planet that has you know that has a smartphone that has access to the internet that ha- uses social media, et cetera. Yeah, you're you're being used as a product and you don't get any benefit except that you get to, like, see other people's
1: posts. So to get more into that, a sub branch of us being the product, Mm -hmm. how would you explain that dynamic? Like what makes us the product?
0: Okay, I would say what makes us the product is that, okay, even if you are paying for I guess if you're so if you pay for a YouTube premium, do you not get ads? Um. You get ads from the creator if they
1: have, I don't know, a brand Mm. deal with a company, but it's not those pre-video or mid-roll ads that like,
0: yeah. Well, I'm not sure how that side of it works, but anything that's free that you aren't paying a a premium for, you're basically agreeing to their terms and services, right? Which Mm -hmm. is, Mm -hmm. in effect, they're able to use your data without limitations and they're able to advertise you Without limitations, so it goes, it goes either. <laughs> they it can goes, put you wherever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they and they can put all of your information to get advertisements that best fit you. Mm-hmm. And it be, like they basically own all of your actions and thoughts and movements within the the realm of the internet. It's basically your digital avatar. They have control of that, and you don't yeah. get any sort of commission for giving them that information. Like if I was in um if I was a real estate agent and I'm brokering the deal between the buyer and the seller, I get a commission in that cuz I brought both of the parties to the table and I I ex- we exchanged all information and every person in that party is benefiting. But in this there's a whole party of people that aren't getting, you know, part of some monetary value.
1: Yeah, there. so we're the connector if you think about yeah. it. Like these platforms for in- in sort of an advertising sense, like we are the connector of the platform is using us to get to these other companies that are paying them to get us there, mm-hmm. so it's like this four way triangle, yeah, and like the company obviously is able to orchestrate whatever and they have all of our data, but in an ad in an ad- in an avatar sense, and um I think that that avatar word is insanely. I don't know. I feel like that encapsulates a lot because it relates to the puppeteer thing. It relates to how they're not only managing what our activities are, but they also have access to pretty valuable information that relates to us. Like how to contact us, where we may live, where, what, how old we are, like what our personality types are. Like the, the people that um, worked for these companies that were in the Social Dilemma completely confirm that Mm -hmm. like how they are able to get us to engage more on these sites is they're able to completely predict what our actions are from knowing what our personality types are and just from overall like knowing us yeah and it's really scary how just from seeing how long we look at a post how how long we are on the site each day, Um, the accounts we follow, uh, the videos we typically watch, like it's so crazy how just from that that they're able to sort of understand us Mm -hmm. in the real world even though it's not. So it's
0: and they weren't hiding that. I mean, these these people that were coming on this this movie, and anytime I've looked at an article that is someone who formerly formerly worked at a tech company and now has left that tech company is explaining their experience. They all say, I knowingly did this, I created this algorithm, I created this monetization plan, whatever it is, and I mm-hmm. knew it was bad, and I mm-hmm. did it anyway. And mm-hmm. now I feel guilty and I quit and I'm trying to fix my mistake, but it's probably too late. That is the narrative that we heard from every single person that was on that documentary. Yeah. That, like there, That was the main theme. I really liked that they
1: did that, though. I have a lot of respect for the people who went on and did that because they they did not hold back. Like no. That must have taken a lot of courage. For people like that that were behind the scenes that had the power and knew that they could continue to gain more power, I feel like it takes a lot of courage to give up that power just for the sake of, of ethics Mm -hmm. and for the good of the people that you are taking it from, Yeah, you know? And so for them to move on and they probably are working in jobs that are similar, although maybe not exactly what they were doing before and not at such massive companies um, or starting their own companies, a lot of them are kind of doing their own thing to Mm -hmm. kind of combat these issues that we're facing. And I just respect that a lot. And Just how they phrase things. I wrote down a couple quotes, but um, I loved it.
0: Yeah. Do you think that um, if you had been born even like five years later, you would have a different brain that you do now because of social media and because of the fact specifically that They brought up that social media does have this brainwashing aspect to it where you could literally live with people in your same household. And you guys have all different sources of news and information and be divisive Mm -hmm. within your own family. Like you could be a 15 year old kid and think the world see the world in one one viewpoint and your mom sees it in a different viewpoint and you don't even have the mutual respect for your mom as an educator in your home still being under her roof and her trying to raise you properly essentially. Well I
1: think most families even in previous generations like there's always normally some sort of technological gap that we've had in the last like century between your parents and then their kids but I think that this separation specifically not even just parent and kid right now. Like, say, Gen Z kid and then their parents. But, yeah, the five-year gap. Like, I have a younger sibling. You have a younger sibling. And even in just those four, (laughs) five-year difference, it's like another world. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually very grateful that we were born sort of on the cusp where, yes, we have been able to have it and experience it and become technologically um, capable towards it. We were not – it's not the norm. I don't think we it's not like a, I don't know what the word for it is, but a social construct mm-hmm. that you have to abide by or else yeah. you're genuinely not going to have friends.
0: But what about the fact that like, okay, let's say you, okay, let's say like you and your sibling are five years apart and you guys both are on social media, et cetera. But because you kind of had this five year, um, a head point where you kind of weren't as brainwashed in a sense mm-hmm. you think more clearly than they do that's the thing that scares me the most is the fact that you could end up being more kind of in line with like your parents and kind of like how you were brought up like yeah your parents more millennial might, not millennial, not like not generation, but just like the fact that you respect what your parents teach you because you don't have a conflicting teacher. Like when you think about when you grow up, like what are the things that influence you the most? It's your parents. And then what you learn at school in terms of morality or how you view the world or et cetera. And imagine like all of a sudden that's been the pattern for all of, Life and of course, like kids, there's there's difference in generations, and kids grow up and they they disagree with their parents on different things, and that's normal. But we're seeing this third educator that isn't school, that isn't parents, that isn't family that's infiltrating in such a demanding way, and especially if your parents are at work, how are they supposed to know what you're being taught online, and how do they monitor that, and should they monitor that? And then you have two siblings in the household that are part of the same generation they both could be gen z because they're a few different years apart they could see the world completely in different lenses like that Mm -hmm, terrifies mm -hmm. me and when i saw that on the 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 tv i was like wow i'm really grateful (laughs) like
1: i am too and i wouldn't even say that it's just infiltrating that third entity i would say that it's completely taken over Mm -hmm. just i don't know even seeing these kids on TikTok and what kids are normally posting. It's, I don't even, I didn't even look like some of these girls that they look like at 11 years old.
0: Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's
1: pretty wild. Well, if
0: you think about it, like, okay, of course you saw like magazines and stuff, but you weren't like, it wasn't like you had the magazines all the time. Take Like you didn't take it to school. It wasn't in your back pocket, all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so even with your example with like, beauty, you had other things in your life that influenced like what you cared about, like Mm -hmm. what your style was or whatever. And Mm -hmm. now it's such like a a Mm monoculture in every aspect, which is scary. So
1: I have some stats that I kind of did pull from the doc. And there are two that are really scary to me. One sort of coincidentally in line with um, the introduction of the iPhone and then social media apps and whatever. Uh, U.S. suicide rates per a million girls have increased by 151% in the last eight years.
0: Which is crazy. Which
1: is almost three times as much. And then the U.S. hospital admissions for non-fatal self-harm, which is obviously, um, a, a, it's a variety of things, but still not good. Girls age- ages 10 to 14 has increased by 280%.
0: 10 is young.
1: Since 2010. Yeah. And then in girls 15 to 19, it increased by 162%. Yeah. So long story short, you can't argue that, you know, and, and I, I mean, this data has been traced from, um, decades and decades, even before this rise in, in social media and technology and, um, to see a spike like that in such a short window of time is definitely like inarguable
0: Mm -hmm. and it's sad. No, it's really sad. And something that um, I never thought about was the fact that there's only two, I guess you call it products. I don't know what the right word is. Things out there in the world that you refer to the people who use the product as actual users and that is social media and drugs. Yeah. Like everything else. You use drugs. You're you're a customer. Drug users. You're a customer of that. Like I'm a customer of this restaurant. I'm a customer of this store. Yeah.
1: Our consumer, our client, yeah. our not our user. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like you wouldn't go to a restaurant and be like, these are our users. Mm-hmm. Like that's so desensitized. Yeah.
1: yeah. Another thing that I remember that they talked about, which I loved, was comparing... We, we, it's thrown around a lot that social media is a tool. Mm-hmm. But like what defines a tool? Like what's the actual wholesome definition of a tool? Because when you think of tools, you think of like your dad's workbench and and a saws bike. and hammers, a bike, for example, yeah. So why is it that social media is still referred to as a tool? And even if even if it is per se a tool in some sense, like, what do you what do you call someone who uses a tool? Is it a user?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, yeah, I guess in some Users. cases.
1: I just thought that that was a really cool analogy, yeah. and obviously, a bicycle has other physical and mental benefits than just obviously using it for a, as a tool.
0: I, I think their um, main point was that a bicycle isn't demanding of you. It's the purpose of a bicycle is to serve the person, you're not serving the bicycle. And with social media, that isn't the same relationship. Social media isn't there to serve you. And that goes back to my point about that you're a product and it's dehumanizing, it's not there for you. It's there for them. Yeah, like a
1: hammer isn't gonna send you notifications saying, pick me up and and use me for five hours.
0: No, literally, (laughs) like if you think about it, your phone and social media, it's like a needy, like significant other that constantly just needs overly love and like hugs every five seconds. Like it's not. And it's so crazy
1: how that is psychologically and what it does to our, our minds because is it the need to be on the same path as like other humans. Like do we, is that why we perceive it as that? Like we need to be a part of it because it's technically other humans, but mm-hmm. it's not. Like your phone is an inanimate object and these apps are just compiled of, of code. Like that's all they are, mm-hmm. but it's somehow this this pathway to connect with humans. the entire world. And maybe that's why we feel the obligation. Maybe it's the FOMO thing, I'm not sure. But yeah, if you actually look at it, from a material matter standpoint, it's not demanding of you. It's just what you think. It's like well, all an illusion.
0: It's really the next step between, I think, before humans and machine become almost one entity, whether that's the neural link or whatever that ends up being. Because because right now, basically, the only thing that's standing from us and our device is a little bit of space because we hold it in our, our hand and the fact that we use it to connect with other humans. But what happens when it's not just about connecting with other humans? What about if it's just about me connecting with the machine itself? That's very, that's kind of, that's very scary. And the fact that yeah. if the Neuralink because it is going to, it's going to be a reality. Everyone should gear up for that at some point. Um, there's I'm not getting <laughs> it. There's going to be a lot of benefits, for people especially that have Alzheimer's or that sort of thing. But eventually, the concept is that you and I will be able to communicate more efficiently by basically our brain, I guess, our brains talking to each other than the English language.
1: But think of 100 years ago, people who were alive trying to think of Or predict a product like the iPhone, they would have thought, "Oh my gosh, that's forever away." How how is that even possible? But yeah, I think the Neuralink is just like that.
0: Well, it's because it's so exponential. Because it's the same. Like when you see this this chart of technology like this in the last ten years, yeah, over a hundred year period, yeah, there's no way that the Neuralink will not come in our lifetime because. It, oh, it will. Like it already is here. Yeah. Like they've already tested it on pigs.
1: So. Uh, on <laughs> pigs. Okay. Well, the next wave is a, is a human, and then if that goes well, then it'll be another human, and then yeah, and then robots will start doing it, and then it's just gonna be like circumcision when you come out of the womb. <laughs> then you, <laughs> then you just get it right then and there. Or, That's terrifying. Or in the womb,
0: who knows? But I think that
1: <laughs> I think that yeah, that with these. With these devices, I would consider the Neuralink a device. I would consider AI a device, but they also aren't just the device. I think that it's really hard to explain this type of technology because it's not just a tool. It's also a medium of manipulation. It's also a medium of mental confusion. It's also – I don't even know how to explain it. But um, – I think that, yeah, Neuralink would be just like that. And speaking of AI, I was thinking social media is totally like that because in the documentary, they were explaining how, yes, there are algorithms that power everything, but even behind the algorithms, AI is literally yeah. programming everything. So they kind of, these companies run themselves, these platforms, these platforms run themselves. When we post stuff, it's not necessarily some like, I don't know, nerdy tech guy drinking Monster Energy drinks and filtering through. Oh, Jordan just posted this. No, it, it it's not that. It's just
0: it gets smarter and smarter. It's, yeah, the it's more running the itself, the more you give it, the smarter the algorithm gets, the smarter the AI gets, the more it it seems to know you essentially, which is crazy. And I don't know. I I think it's interesting how it's gonna like shift human behavior. You know? Oh, totally, yeah. And I think you can already see that. I mean, they they brought up, I've seen examples from multiple sources where they say that um, romantic interaction has dropped, dating's dropped, oh, yes. driver's license. Um, and the pandemic is making this worse because, I mean, young kids, we're in that category. We don't have as many social interactions that we're normally used to. These last yeah. six months are not what we're normally exposed to I mean w- even in the classroom it's making like, it worse yeah it's just I don't know I found a
1: word for it so um Most people know the term agoraphobia is the fear of places and situations that can make you feel anxious and panic Mm -hmm. and whatever. So basically, it could be like a roller coaster. You feel trapped and you can't get out and then you have a panic attack and that type of thing. Well, there's this term going around called instagoraphobia, which it's not the fear of going on Instagram. Mm. It's actually due to Instagram and due to social media platforms in general, we are having a more contradictory experience going out into the real world again and the pandemic has definitely heightened that and especially gen z even before the pandemic like we talked about this the other night about how um younger kids that maybe are still in high school or starting college just aren't as out in the world or wanting to be It, it doesn't give them the dopamine yeah. it's the phone that that gives them that pleasure
0: and why would you i mean this yeah bringing you back to the dopamine thing why would you um go out in the world take a risk do something that might hurt you when you could get that same chemical reaction if to not your brain. more yeah if not more probably more on your phone and you just can sit in the comfort of your bed
1: that, yeah like, and you don't have to put real clothes on to date all you have to do is just message some person on an app yeah. to pretty much anything that would be considered a necessity. You can even, hell, you can even order food.
0: And if it's enough, like, yeah, no, if enough people get on this this train and, and the pandemic is kind of pushing it in that direction because even people who are more extroverted or um, people who are a few years older or people that generally just like to go out in the world and take more risks right now you are restrained from doing that like how are you if, if bars are closed how are you supposed to go meet someone on a date if you unless the only option is to do a dating app Well, what if you don't want to do a dating app then what are your alternatives like you have to now adapt to this thing that you've been trying to hold off on for so long. And now you're Mm -hmm. just giving more into this dopamine that's coming from your phone because Mm -hmm. there's no alternative option out in the world, which was either Mm -hmm. partying or being with friends or going to school and meeting people or your workplace. Like those Mm -hmm. don't exist anymore.
1: No, it's gone. And your point of why would I go out into the real world when I can have the same amount of happiness from just being on my phone my computer and sitting in my room that's so important because I feel like yeah they feel fulfilled doing that plus everybody else is Mm -hmm. so it's the feeling of like yeah I'm not weird like I'm not weird because I'm doing this because everybody else is doing it That's
0: the scary part is at least like before this there was kind of a I don't know, like there was a balance of it. There were some people that were more introverted or like wanted to stay in more. And there were some people who are more extroverted and there was this healthy balance of that in society where, you know, everyone has a different level of like risk tolerance or whatever. And Mm -hmm. now that has been totally depleted, which is scary.
1: Yeah, and it's definitely a generational thing too. Like you can tell even just from five years that we are definitely more wanting to try to not enter that life. And maybe some of these younger Gen Z kids will come to that one day. Hopefully there's not some sort of event that happens or some massive cyber attack. I, I do think that the next serious, seriously horrible s- I don't know, terrorist attack event that happens, it's gotta be tech. Like I I Mm -hmm. know it will. Like we, and that's what we thought with the pandemic. Like there's still people that are like, this was some sort of terrorist attack. It's so hard to wrap your head around because in movies, that type of um, violence or harm is more like physical and and in the real world. But no, this could be totally through Mm -hmm. just our data and our lives that we have
0: digitally yeah well i think it's deemed inefficient i mean not that's a bad word but i think that a lot of countries like don't see it as really a good use of energy and then also human lives which i think is a good thing to do um warfare with actual combat you know like you you really haven't seen that since um at least from our perspective in the u.s since um being in Afghanistan and that sort of thing. But yeah, even no, something totally. as crazy as um, World War Two or World War One, where it was like such a huge global event, I don't think we're going to see something like that unless it's cyber, like yeah. you said. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah.
1: I hope that doesn't happen, but I just, I don't know, I have a hunch. Yeah. So I found something cool, and it kind of relates to the whole puppeteer spectating thing. And um, there was this study done on a focus group with kids, which a lot of companies do that, um, especially with kids because they're the most green and authentic versions of the humans that are on this. They don't have any ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. That's why doing tests on them makes sense. Well, what they told the kids before they put them in this room was that they were going to be on the other side. Okay. And so... Like normally with a one, one one way mirror, they the kids see a mirror, they don't see a window, yeah. they can't see the other side, and then um the other people can see in. Well, they left. Mm-hmm. Like there were actually no no adults watching them do whatever. And then when they thought that they were that they were being watched, basically they were like on their best behavior ever. And then when they told them that they were there, um Basically,
0: wait, I'm confused. <laughs>
1: so basically, there were adults that told them that they were going to be on the other side. Okay. But they ended up not being on the other side. Okay. And so then when the kids found out that they weren't on the other side, they were like pissed off. Mm. So it was like this whole I watched a video on it, but moral of the story, the theme of this sort of setup is that maybe we act a certain way or not post certain things or not say certain things because are we influenced by the people that are viewing that information Mm -hmm. or like filtering that information, like the people working at tech companies, or are we not doing that because they're censoring us and making us feel that way? Mm. Like who's the, who's the controller of it? Like, is it us feeling like we have to, to appease the people that are controlling the information Mm -hmm. or do we feel like it's them setting these standards so that they're
0: the controllers
1: of it and we're just uh, like abiding by it.
0: Mm. What do you think it is?
1: I think it's a combination of both. Okay. But I think as of right now just with everything that's been going on this year, I'm getting a huge sense that it's the controllers mm. and not necessarily us. Okay. Um because yeah, these companies are businesses and they are not only trying to retain engagement, but like they said in the doc, they they want controversy. They want drama and they want issues to be present on their platforms to get us to come back and to be involved with the, I don't know, feel yeah. like we're involved in the drama. Yeah, And so that's why they like that. And so they kind of want to encourage it to keep those numbers that encourage amount of
0: discourse. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's something that I mean, we've talked about that briefly on a few like other episodes, but I do think that that's something we should be aware of is the fact that I'm assuming they are kind of more the controller of the the algorithms and of what you're seeing. Be aware of that because the person next to you isn't seeing the same things and they do that intentionally because they want to drive division because, okay, when you see a post that makes you happy or you agree with the idea, Mm -hmm. what's the most you're going to do? You're just going to like it or something. Maybe you'll just browse over it. But if you see something that you disagree with and riles you up and makes you upset the same way if mm-hmm. someone was coming at you and attacking mm-hmm. you, you're going to spend more time looking at that screen, replying, going to that person's profile, whatever. And basically, you have to remember that in dollar amounts, more screen time Equals more money for potential advertisers. That's mm-hmm. that's that's the equation that we're looking at right mm-hmm. now. So there's no room on the internet for moderate voices or people who are in the middle because that doesn't help their cause when it comes to trying to be um, make money. Essentially, yeah. And, and all the people in this documentary laid that out, and they said that's pretty much in their mo- monetary platform yeah they also
1: said like across the board fake news spreads six times faster than normal news yeah than normal content flow yeah and i don't even maybe that's due to the algorithms maybe that's due to the to the controllers
0: or the users or the users yeah
1: yeah, but I, i thought that that was really incredible
0: no i thought that was really interesting and it's like okay well how do you fix that problem i mean i'm i'm gonna take the more libertarian position i don't know what your idea is but i think it's like that's on you then if you know that out of all the news you see six times of six times of it is going to be fake news that's on you the consumer to do the research and be questioning things yeah Um, but what do you think do you think that that should be kind of i think no i think that that should be on people to like dive into stuff to figure out. well the average
1: joe is not going to have any sort of control over what's actually on these platforms. So yeah, it's up to us to develop better strategies for when we are exposed to this or that to find the holes in it and realize, okay, that, that's probably not right. Or Mm -hmm. have it incentivize you to then go and do external research to either confirm or deny that that article or tweet or whatever was actually true or false because don't, Put it out and continue the the flow chain mm-hmm. of that um, post or piece of content if you if it 's not true yeah and that's yeah that's exactly what's happening
0: one of the guys um, who was i think it was the I think it was the the past president of Pinterest and maybe something else i i don 't know i don 't remember for certain, but one of the guys said that his biggest fear from the fallback of social media is literally civil war that, yes like he said what did he say he no said? the the interviewer asked him what civil war what um, would de- be great democracy and the fall of the world economy those were his like three things wow which are huge those are huge implications that's not even just like oh my mood now is off which of course that matters or my dopamine Levels are off. Those are huge societal institutions that we're talking yeah. about being potentially crumbled by an app on your phone. And people
1: always used to throw the, the term civil war around kind of as like an emphasis, you know, that that could happen again. But I think from just events of this year, it has really shown us that can totally happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: it's not some joke anymore. Like him saying that was not some form of emphasis he was actually like making that prediction
0: yeah which is very interesting
1: yeah no the, one of the guys in the doc also said that too he the interviewer asked him what would be the end game like what would be the absolute like worst outcome yeah, of this whole I'm thing?" About. oh that's the same yeah. guy oh my yeah. gosh yeah i if someone asked me that question i i don't know if i'd know I, i'll think about that yeah probably something along the lines but obviously i haven't worked at any of these companies i don't know everything behind behind Mm -hmm. the scenes they probably held back a few in the doc too but oh
0: for sure i mean
1: probably for legal reasons or um, i bet it
0: was just too
1: hard for us to too
0: hard for us to hear i mean you are carrying the weight of a lot of things yeah yeah from that experience
1: so one question that i actually kind of wanted to bring up to you because i want you to help me (laughs) figure it out okay so maybe this can be like a help jordan understand what she believes type of thing but after analyzing the the goods and the bads of social media and obviously how big these these big tech mega corporations are mm-hmm. i guess my question is what is the end or like what what can we do aside from just making documentaries of of it Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, maybe just continue talking about it. Maybe um, highlighting these differentiations. Yeah, like I feel like there has to be something more that we can do that isn't so making powerless. government take control of it. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. to be honest, I don't want that to happen. Yeah, because if the government gets control of this amount of technology, who the hell knows? <laughs> like that is so scary. No,
0: it's it's really scary. Like the
1: AI being able to control our minds. Like if, if there was one entity that control that could control all of those
0: different companies right now, you know, it's kind of like the saving grace a little bit. Exactly. Like Twitter separate than Instagram, Facebook, which is separate from Snapchat. You know, at least it's like, there's some, there's, it's a little divided and they all
1: have different programming, different tools.
0: I don't know. This is like such a hard question to ask because you know, when does a company get to the point where it needs to be broken up? Now, I agree with you. I don't think it should be taken over by the government. I don't know if it should be broken up or not. I, I don't know if it falls under antitrust stuff. I don't. It, it, that's such a hard question for me to answer. But I can say that I do think that it's on parents. Yeah. Right now, I was going to say that too. I, and I think it's on schools. And how is that so hard to do when all of our learnings online right now? But this is so critical. And the hardest part is that there's a social pressure once everyone has an iPhone or a smartphone in the class, like in your whole class, like you're the last one left, like your parents you don't want to be the odd
1: man out. Yeah, Yeah. you don't
0: want your kid to be weird or not have (laughs) friends or not fit in. But we need parents to really band together and just be more on top of this and and helping their kids learn how to manage it because this stuff isn't going away. You can't just be like, I don't ever want it. You can't take the Amish mindset and be like, I'm just not going to like touch it because that's not realistic. If you want a job, like that's part of it. But Mm -hmm. it's like any sort of vice, just learning how to manage it. But it's scary because it is so powerful. Maybe some age restrictions, I don't know. I
1: think that's a good point of, yes, it's obviously the parent's job to implement restrictions or convey to their kids what this whole thing is before they get too into it, but it's also the job of maybe the community of parents, Mm -hmm. the the parents of the kids that are in your um, kid's class. To
0: create some sort of norm. Yeah, so if
1: it's a norm and your kid doesn't feel outnumbered, then, yeah, I actually, I think that might be bigger than anything because it seems like with teenagers and just young people, it's all about, yeah, you want to be cool and do what's right. But, yeah, with this, I feel like that's probably the only way that it could, like, actually happen and not make your kid be weird.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's like, If parents don't understand or even like schools don't understand why it's such a big deal, look at the science, look at the dopamine levels, look at this compared to any other addiction of any other drug or alcohol issue. It is all the same sort of chemical reaction and needs to be taken seriously. I mean, there's age restrictions on every other sort of Yeah. Thing that you can consume. No, it's, we we saw it with Jewel where everyone was like,
1: oh, it's healthier, it's better and cooler, and it's the trend. Mm -hmm. A couple years later, it's it's getting a massive (laughs) reform. Like everybody's against it, you know?
0: As they probably should be, you know?
1: Which social media, this is a massive behemoth that it's not going to be taken down overnight. Mm -hmm. However, I do think that these conversations should not only be had parent to kid, But just in like communities of young people to maybe help get other types of perspectives into other like peers' heads that might not be as exposed to it. Yeah. Because if we have to start small and then go bigger, as opposed to like going big and like not even knowing what that would entail, I think that it definitely would take work and time, but that could have definitely a better outcome Mm -hmm. than than having like one person controlling it, one entity controlling it. Um, I don't want that to happen. Absolutely yeah, not.
0: No. And maybe maybe more social media groups emerging that are more community-based or kind of long-form discussions and are more about, you know, ideas versus just kind of a virtual conversation as opposed to Twitter or whatever where it's so short-form. You know, I mm-hmm. think that's also another maybe good idea. I just thought
1: about this cuz in regards to our podcast, we definitely have social media accounts and we alert people from mm-hmm. of new episodes whatever through that. For companies that only rely on social media right now, do you think that that is a good route to go on just in case something happened mm-hmm. and these like platforms shut down or
0: or if they k- kick you off? Exactly, um, like isn't yeah, that kind of scary? I, I think that you probably It's hard because social media makes it so easy to get known and sell anything, especially TikTok's a whole nother giant. I was yesterday, I was with two of my friends and they both at almost the same time are like, dude, TikTok. And one of them sold 40 shirts in like three hours off of TikTok. The other one sold a like $500 rug off of TikTok. So it's like the new Craigslist. Kind of, but basically (laughs) you can just make something look so cool and the algorithm just takes it anywhere. Whereas at least, I mean, with Instagram, it's like, okay, it's really only your followers that get exposure to it because there isn't that resharing aspect. I mean, you can reshare stuff on your story, but people don't do that as much. It doesn't have that viral effect like Twitter or... um, uh, The slot machine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And so that was crazy to me just thinking about yeah like I've that's seen sad. that's a scary because then your businesses reliant on a certain amount of sales volume of social media because getting people to come to your website is a lot harder without social media
1: oh know? totally yeah that's actually I mean that's awesome that they were able to sell their stuff and make money and get to people who were willing to buy it I've seen some videos like that where people can use the effects and just make something look really unique and cool and then mm-hmm. like everybody like blows it up. Yeah. Which is so insane mm-hmm. to think about. I've personally never been like blown up like that yeah. <laughs> from posting anything. But I also don't have a TikTok. So <laughs> I don't know. Um but I was thinking like just from say Facebook and Instagram. Also Instagram today Updated their entire app. I don't know if you saw it. No. So they now replace, like, you know that heart button where you could see, like, your likes and followers mm-hmm. and all of that type of stuff? It's completely gone. It's not even a tab anymore. They put it in the pro- in your personal profile area where you can see, like, your notifications. Mm-hmm. But they made this new section called Shop, which it's even more like ad base, like, you know, the, the normal Instagram ads mm-hmm. that you see, it's kind of designed to show all of them in a scroll Who and it's literally a store. Like how did Instagram turn into a complete e-commerce store? That's what they just did.
0: It's crazy. Cause like, yeah, you can make, you can like tag products from your website on Instagram. It's so easy. Now. Yeah. But, um,
1: but before, ads showing up every couple scrolls or whatever, I was totally fine with that because, I mean, they have to do it. Mm -hmm. They make money, whatever. But having an entire section dedicated to that is going to change the entire connector role of Instagram because so many companies are going to want to do that because it's just – people that go onto that shop section are going to want to shop. Yeah. They're going to want to like look to buy products. So buy
0: department stores. Yeah. So it's not
1: necessarily (laughs) framing the products or the companies as ads. It's actually framing them as as what we're selling. Yeah. Well,
0: think about this, like, okay, think about how inefficient shopping is right now. You got to, even if you're doing online shopping, which I mean, people from previous generations must look down at us and think that we're lazy, but even with (laughs) online shopping, you have to go on like four different websites, compare your, Your carts. Imagine if you can do that all in one shop, whatever, and it's already built on an algorithm of your taste and it finds all your favorite stores and all your favorite colors and whatever. Like, that's so
1: genius. No, I mean, that is super genius. It saves time from having to like go and find stuff on your own. It gives it to you, Mm -hmm. but it's also, it could be bad if you don't like see through it and Mm -hmm. understand that it's, yeah, they're marketing and advertising to you. Mm -hmm, For sure. So, I, we should probably wrap up in a little bit, but I found some really interesting sort of data info as a comparison to understand like how much data is in the world right now. Yeah. And so obviously everybody knows like megabytes, gigabytes, and then terabytes, yeah. probably like the biggest that I knew of. But as it gets of, bigger, as it gets way bigger. Um, as of right now, there are about 20. Zettabytes.
0: What's a zettabyte? Zettabyte.
1: It's it's like what? it's like five or six stages up from terabyte. Like a, a huge, like probably entire, okay. probably an entire okay. store or a, a barn would be a zettabyte. Okay. Of like pillars of of data storage. Okay. So we have twenty on Earth right now. Out of all of this that we already have, it's predicted that in four years. Before 2025, that this amount of data will increase to 175 zettabytes.
0: And we're at four right now?
1: No, we're at 20.
0: Okay, so we're at 20. We're going to go to (laughs) 175. We're going to
1: go to 175. And basically, to compare to a byte, a zettabyte is one sextillion bytes. And this would fill a, a thousand data centers or... Twenty percent of Manhattan. So think of all of Manhattan with the buildings.
0: Get into every the real building. Build business for data centers. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. So you can oh actually visualize those skyscrapers not being filled with apartments, but being filled with massive black cubes.
0: This is like Blaze which Runner. is where
1: the data is going and being stored. And so think of some sort of cyber terrorist attack. These, if we build this amount of of data in in a physical, like I, I don't think a lot of people know, it's not just the cloud. It's not just an invisible place. Like it actually is stored. In, it lives
0: somewhere. Yes,
1: like there is a physical hard drive mm-hmm. of which a byte is stored on. And okay, last thing: if you attempted to download 175 zettabytes at the average current internet connection speed, it would take you 1.8 billion years. To download it. What? <laughs> if you enlisted every person in the world to help with that download, it would take 81 days.
0: Okay. So basically,
1: <sighs> it's I don't just... Inf- know how
0: to like visualize it's that. It's infathomable.
1: <laughs> basically, if you were to put 175 zettabytes on DVDs, okay. like old plastic DVDs, the stack of DVDs would be as long enough to circle the earth 222 times.
0: Wow that's that's huge
1: (laughs) i just thought that was fascinating i
0: love that no it's terrifying no it's terrifying but it's the future i guess so we're gonna have to it's not going away people so figure out your limitations and learn to live with it that's all i can say. yes i like that i really like that yeah well thank you guys so much for tuning in um i hope you enjoyed seeing our little Studio in our faces. So yes, thank you guys so much for
1: listening. Hope you learned maybe something. Um,
0: yeah. this
1: t- these types of topics always come up, and we talk about it all the time. But it's because it kind of involves everything. Yeah, I think that this stuff overarches so many industries, whether it be business, science, just whatever. And um, human life. We all relate to it because mm-hmm. we're all indulging in these sites. We all use these sites as a tool we all are trying to stay connected especially because of the pandemic like there's a lot of contradictions and balances um but i think it's good to not only praise these sites but also highlight okay maybe Mm -hmm. maybe that could be better maybe we could figure out a way to understand this more and this and that so that's what we're trying to do today and
0: uh we'll catch you next time yeah thanks guys thank you